Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am your host, David Rothkopf, and I am coming to you this week from New York City. Joining us is Rosa Brooks, who is in Alexandria, Virginia, right, Rosa? Um, close. George Washington, D.C.? <laughs> I'm in an undisclosed location in Washington, D.C. right now, and it's an undisclosed location that involves um, a good sandwich. <laughs> that's that's really good, and and maybe we'll talk about Amazon's entry into the neighborhood a little later in the show. Um, uh, and let's see here. Um, joining me also, we have two new guests who have um, uh, uh, been familiar to some of you out there through a variety of reasons, but. Um, <clears throat> Uh, our, our, our first timers on this show. Uh, so uh, let me introduce them and then they can tell us a little bit about what they do. One, and we've got a few things to talk about with her, is Am- Emily Brandwin, who is known uh, far and wide as CIA spy girl um, uh, and, and, and also for her shoes and her turkey recipes and a variety of other things, which we'll get to. But why, Emily, are you known as CIA spy girl? Um, I used to work for the CIA, and I used to call myself the most unexpected spy. I went from improv to espionage, not the normal trajectory. But when I started tweeting, I wanted to make it clear what I did. And I was very fortunate to have a husband in marketing. He's like, why don't you just call yourself CIA spy girl? I was like, oh, okay. And it stuck, and so I just started to run with it from there. Yes, and we're, and we're, and you've been running ever since, right? You've been running ever since, exactly. Uh, yeah, and we'll get we'll get into that a little bit more. And also joining us for the first time is Maggie Feldman Pilch, who is um, the managing director of a great group called Natsec Girl Squad. Uh, also been uh, uh, called the uh, what did you say? The Mother Superior. The, the, of the oh, I wish the Mother Superior, the Queen Mother of Natsec oh, Girl Queen. Squad, which is just so nice. <laughs> yeah, no, that really is. But so is Mother Superior, um, or a Dowager Empress. Ooh, <laughs> all good options. Yeah, and you should use you should use them all. I will. Uh, tell us a little bit about Natsec Girl Squad. Sure. Um, so we are a membership organization of people committed to competent diversity across the national security apparatus, which means it's not just a bunch of women; it's a bunch of people. Um, and we kind of focus on building a network for women that are in national security, especially defense and security. Um, and building expertise in those women and building their confidence in that expertise. Um, And we just had our very first full day event last Thursday and it was great. I love the fact that you define yourself as 
people, and that would be women, and then whatever is not a woman is the other kind of people. Yes, right? exactly. Women and everybody else. Um, yeah, well, uh, speaking for everybody else, we think you're doing great work, and that's one of Thank the reasons you. we wanted to have you on, because we are very much committed to getting different voices here. Of course, you see, on this particular episode of Deep State Radio, I am the only non-woman. Um, <laughs> But, uh, uh, you know, we'll make up for that at some point in the future. Um, you know, I, I wanted to sort of, you know, this is Thanksgiving week, you know. Um, and so I wanted to focus a little bit on uh, things that would be thematically tied to Thanksgiving uh, and thematically also tied to um, what we do at Deep State Radio. And so I thought maybe we might start with turkeys in the news. Um, we, we can get to Turkey in the news later, since there's plenty of that. But um, uh, before we do get to that, Emily, are you still going ahead with your plan to deep oh my God. a turkey in your house? It's an indoor deep fryer, so I took out extra insurance on our home. Clearly, that's what I'm giving thanks for. It's it's going to be a shit show. It's on, like I tried to like do a turkey, and I put it on Twitter, and I went through all the steps. I was like hand massaging butter underneath it. And I was like, I hope the pressure's okay on the turkey. It was horrible. It was literally looked like a crime scene. when you put them on Twitter? I, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a scene. It was literally, I was like, it looked like CSI in my kitchen. So we decided to do something easier. I was like, okay, we'll order one turkey and then we'll deep fry this one. It was an indoor deep fryer, which seems like the worst idea ever, but so we're going to go with it. And I keep adding more people because anytime someone's like, oh, I don't know where to go. I'm like, oh, you just come here. I'm up to 24 people. <laughs> this okay. sounds like my house. <laughs> That's crazy. I've, Secondly, I've never hosted Thanksgiving. Oh and this, and perhaps we'll never again, but you know, this whole idea That's of goal. National, national security begins at home. Rosa, let me just turn to you before we get into more serious stuff. What's your view of indoor deep frying? Um, I, I consider it rash. Yeah. But rash. not as rash as those people who try to make churduckins and stuff their turkeys with chickens and ducks and little baby quails and things like that. And also not as rash as people who decide to brine their turkey by leaving it in the bathtub for 48 hours. Oh, that's gross. I I brined a turkey. In a bathtub? But not in the bathtub. Okay. No, I almost did because we didn't know if we had a Tupperware big enough. And so we tried brining it and then it dropped on the floor. Yeah, no. I agree with you. Wow. you have any views on this, Maggie, before we get to national security stuff? I just, you know, again, I want to keep this thematic and full of holiday spirit. No, of course. I mean, I'm I'm not a turkey person. And I have I have 10 siblings. So we eat a lot of brisket. But I'm wondering if maybe we should consider turkey, just because this sounds like we could be a sitcom if we had a turkey involved. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be a sitcom, frankly. Um, and uh, and Emily, I hope that there are pictures. Oh, um, there'll be lots of pictures. Yeah, no, it would be too easy if we were going through sort of the national security, foreign policy world of turkeys for this episode to pick one person in particular who is the mother of all turkeys, mm. um, which forces me almost to say is the head of gobbler. But, you know, that kind of inside Scandinavian theater joke is not going to go over so well. Um, 
beyond very, very limited audiences. But let's avoid talking about Trump for a second. Um, and, and instead, you know, Rosa, let me start with you. So as we look around and as we keep thinking uh, in terms of the theme of the week, um, there are a host of candidates out there who would, uh, you know, are well qualified to be our among our turkeys of the year in terms of foreign policy and national security. You don't have to pick just one, but let me start with you, Rosa. Where would you start? Uh, turkeys of the year. Hmm. Gosh, there's <laughs> there's a lot of competition, um, but I'm going to go. I'm going to go right now with the Republican Party as Turkey of the Year. Um, not only not only um, were, did we witness a a rather pleasing ritual slaughter, um, seasonally appropriate ritual slaughter uh, recently in the midterm elections, but but I think that they they qualify for turkiness by letting themselves be you know letting Donald Trump run roughshod over them. Uh, generally failing to act like animals with a vertebrae. I guess turkeys do have spines, but they're not really known for their spines, are they, right? I mean, they're known for being brined and they're known for being eaten, uh, not for their their toughness and uh, <clears throat> uh, resolution in the face of uh, uh, adversity. Uh, and I certainly think that the, the American Republican Party in the year 2018 uh, qualifies as one big turkey, and 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 the only the only downside is they they, they don't taste that good. Uh, I don't even want to know why you say that. So. <laughs> Just in a you know metaphysical sense, David. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, well, Maggie, that takes one big turkey off the table, but there's some left for you. Where would you go? You know, I almost feel bad about it, almost. Um, but my my gut reaction is my turkey of the year is Sarah Sanders. Um, because when I think of turkeys, right, I think of these giant birds who have this enormous, probably outsized role in American imagination, right? Our whole life for this whole week is going to be about this turkey. And Sarah Sanders is supposed to be our chief communicator. And she has this incredible opportunity and honor of, of being the press secretary. And man, is she terrible. Um, and exactly like Rosa said, turkeys are not known for their spines. Um, and just what a disappointment. And I feel terrible for saying it, but it's the truth. <laughs> Um, well, no, no, you shouldn't. Why do, why do you feel terrible for saying it? Sarah Sanders is awful in every respect. Um, because I just, you know, it's like sometimes you see people who are just so awful that you you hope like they must have some level of self-awareness. But if you're at all self-aware, how could you truly be this awful? So does she know she's awful? I'm sure she does on some level. Um, but, you know, I think it, it's just the part of me that like feels bad for wounded animals, even if the wound is self-inflicted. Um, well, it's very uh, commendable of you. And, and Thank in that you. <laughs> capacity, we will you as the mother superior of Nat, Nat said girls. But um, um, uh, Emily, do you have a favorite turkey of the moment? Um, I have like a devil's quadrangle. I was wow. going to go with, you know, I couldn't narrow it down. I wanted to do a triangle, but there's too many. So I did Stephen Miller, Kushner, oh. Don Jr., and Ivanka. Wow, that's pretty awful. Do you think that Miller's more like a weasel than a turkey? (laughs) Oh, you know, it it could be, but I do feel like he's pretty awful, and I feel like 
like when he was younger, he was the kid with the magnifying glass and the ants and the sun. Like mm-hmm. he's truly like an awful human. So I kind of feel like they're all on par-ish. And they're all just, everything they do is horrible. There's nothing redemptive that comes out of them. Every time I think maybe something good will happen, it just doesn't. And I feel like, yeah, I feel like they're, they make up a good, solid, solid turkey quadrangle. Yeah, no, those are all truly awful people. And, uh, I, you know, I have to say, you know, we've, we've kept it within the United States. Let's do one more round of this outside the United States. Um, and then we'll get into some specific turkey-like behavior. Um, and Rosa, I will not, you, you are, if, if you wish, able to, um, you know, make as your turkey of the year um, the, the president of Turkey. You know, I mean, that would, that would be, you know, something that would be possible if you'd like to go there. But, but why don't you start? Um, hmm. I, I would say Theresa May, uh, poor Theresa May, maybe International mm-hmm. Turkey of the Year. She, she's worked herself into a completely impossible situation. She knows it. Everyone knows it. There's, there's much, much like the poor Turkey faded, faded to die. You know, she knows it and there is nothing she can do about it and she doesn't want it and the turkey doesn't want it. And the thing, of course, as we as we know, is that most people don't even really like eating turkey. It's not that good. Nobody even wants it. Nobody wants it to happen, but it just it's 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 inevitable. It's horrible. It's a terrible thing to watch. Like Brexit? <laughs> Basically, precisely. Yeah, yeah. It's, we're, we're less, even, Brexit may even be less appetizing than the turkey, you know, my mother who listens to this, I have to be very careful, she makes great turkeys. But there have been on occasion, every once in a while, a turkey that was slightly undercooked and nothing is worth, and keep this in mind, Emily, with your 24 guests, um, uh, the undercooked turkey can lead to all sorts of horrible things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the Brexit was certainly an undercooked idea. Um, Maggie, you have a favorite uh, foreign turkey? It's a toss-up for me between probably Mohammed bin Salman for a, a number of reasons and Netanyahu, who I think is always going to be my perennial turkey. He is my forever turkey, um, much like, you know, diamonds are forever. Bibi is my is my forever turkey. Um, but I think on, on MBS, you know, the hopes were so high as they are for most millennials. And he just tanked in the worst way. Um, so maybe he takes the cake this year. Yeah, well, I think, you know, I was thinking about it because I think of both of them as pigs, but both yeah. of them are, are uh, religiously precluded. Right, from there's, no, there's no pork, so turkey so, it is. You have to go with turkeys. Yeah. Um, and I think those are good, the good cases, uh, good choices in, in both cases. Uh, what about you, Emily? I'm in with Vlad. I think Putin is like always a turkey, always constantly. And sometimes with all the news, we're forgetting just truly how vile and horrible he is. And so I just want to throw his name out there so we don't forget how absolutely hideous he is and what he's done. So I'm, I, I'm going with him. He's my old standby. He's kind of my favorite. And every time you see like a pic with him with like puppies or topless, I'm like, that's right. He's, he's really a horrible human. So he's, he's my pick a, by far. Wait a second. Don't, doesn't, isn't this a betrayal of your background in the intelligence community? You, you, in, in, by many measures, Vlad 
is the most successful practitioner of your former profession that oh. there is. It doesn't mean he's not a smart, I mean, he's maybe better, how about this? Maybe he's a turkey puppeteer and he's the puppeteer of other turkeys. Would that be more accurate? Well, I don't. I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just asking. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I just that might be. You know, my sense is. I mean, know, yeah, no, it's, it's. I agree with you. It's amazing, but I just, I think he's just so vile and horrible. So I just put him in that sort of turkey category. He fits there so nicely. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's 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 a good thing. Now, you know, I've I've restricted us from uh, uh, the discussion of Trump because it's just too easy. Um, uh, but this past weekend, you know, we've seen Trump in a variety of, of guises, you know, we've seen him go to California and, uh, uh, even en route to California, he managed to offend everybody by essentially, um, continuing his cover up of the, the murder of Jamal Khashoggi with, um, um, uh, by, by denying once again, the findings of the intelligence community, which, he finds, uh, you know, something is, is, is kind of a matter of habit for him uh, and saying, well, we, we couldn't be sure who was behind this murder. He then gets to California and uh, in, a, in a couple of things that will appear on his highlight reel forever, um, you know, visits Paradise, California, where scores of people were, were killed and the entire town wiped off the map and he couldn't even be bothered to remember what it was. Uh, called and I th I th what did he call it? Pleasure, California. Something yeah, like Pleasure, that. California. Yeah, which is you know kind of an interesting slip on his part. But and then he went into this whole thing of uh, saying that these forest fires had nothing to do with climate change and they could have been prevented by vigorous raking, um, which he alleged he had heard from the president of Finland. Uh, of course, the president of Finland immediately disavowed this, and the entire nation of Finland rose up on Twitter, sending pictures of them raking to troll the president of the United States, which was kind of great. Um, and then, you know, the president, on top of that, did a bunch of other things, including um, attacking um, uh, the former head of U.S. Special Operations, um, Admiral uh, McRaven, uh, for not having caught bin Laden soon enough and for having been politicized. Um, and, you know, this outraged literally everybody in the Republican as well as Democratic parties because this guy is a true hero. Um, you may, Rosa, want to comment on the McRaven comment, uh, but I'm wondering if there, you, you know, want to pick out a one of your favorite moments in turkiness from the president of the United States. It's funny that when the CIA, rarely does the CIA come out and you hear them say, we're certain with, with basic certainty, this is what happened. You never hear it. And basically if you hear the CIA coming out and saying, this is what happened, they're saying, this is what happened. There's no doubt. We know for sure. They never do that. So the fact that they did that and then Trump was like, oh, we don't know for certain. It was so appalling and galling. I can only assume that they came out to maybe push his hand a bit, but it was, it was an embarrassment that he said that it, to me, it was just shocking because you never see the agency come out like that. It's never that open in that sense. Yeah. yeah. 
No, it's never it's never what they would call a slam dunk, right? No, well, yeah. After I saw it's like there was that one time. It's but yeah. Yeah. Okay, Rosa. No, uh, you know, uh, I mean, the the shit show wrapped in a dustbin, wrapped in a enigma that is Donald Trump um, is, uh, you know, there, there, there are too many, too many items to choose from. I mean, the McRaven stuff was, of course, just more Trump posturing, you know, if, if it hadn't been for his bone spurs, he personally would have apprehended. Osama bin Laden uh, on before 9-11 and he would have, you know, strangled him to death or something. Um, it's, you know, it's it's silly. It's it's over the top. Um, it's hard to imagine who it plays well with, if anybody. But I think the most Turkish statement by by Trump this week uh, was probably the claim that the reason um, that <clears throat> the uh, Republican Party did not do well in the midterms was just because Trump hadn't been on the ballot and that if he had been on the ballot, you know, everyone would have voted for him, which, <laughs> you know, is one of the more delusional uh, kinds of comments, because I think it seems pretty clear from from both polling prior to the election and from exit polling that the Republicans did so badly in very large part because of their association with Trump. Um, and I, you know, and I mean, we've talked about this before and it, I, I start feeling like, gosh, how much more is there for us to say? But um, I, I think that, you know, the, the thing that makes Trump so hard to deal with for, for journalists, for diplomats, for foreign leaders um, alike is his non-existent relationship with the truth. Um, and this seems to have been the the line from Trump's attorneys to Bob Mueller, arguing why they they didn't want Trump to go and be interviewed in person. It's just that he he does not know the difference between truth and lies. He lies pathologically and glibly and blissfully unaware that he is lying, and he doesn't care anyway. You know, so so just this this you know how. I, I this is this seems like a non sequitur and it sort of is, but I, I remember years ago when I when I first started writing, um, uh, doing a lot of media stuff, and I was writing a weekly column for the Los Angeles Times, and I was getting all kinds of hate mail um, in my email, which had never happened to me before because I was just a, you know, an academic and nobody bothers to send hate mail to academics. Um, but suddenly I was getting all this hate mail, and of course I started out wanting to respond to the people who would say. <laughs> things I considered unfair or would take what I said out of context. And, and that never ended well. You know, you just get kind of sucked into these back and forths with people who you'd gradually realize were, were crazy. And I remember discussing this, this with my dad, one of our, our listeners, um, uh, a psychologist. And he said to me, you know, do not engage um, because number one, um, when you engage with a crazy person, then they think they have a relationship with you and they want to keep engaging. And that can easily turn into stalkerish stuff because they develop this notion that there's, there's some there there. Um, and number two, don't argue with crazy because you can't argue with crazy. And that's because that's the nature of crazy is it's not, you know, there's, there's no arguing with it. And, and I feel like that's Donald Trump that we're all still acting like he's not crazy. We say he's crazy, but then we act like he's not. We act as though anything he says can be susceptible to rational analysis. We act as though facts ought to make a difference, as though you know we should be able to say, but Mr. President, that's not correct, or that's not accurate, and it will matter. Um, but you can't argue with crazy. That's the nature of crazy. And you, you, know, you can't argue with somebody who, who doesn't know and doesn't care. 
what truth is. Do you yeah. really think he doesn't know, or do you think he just lies because he knows he can get away with it? I, I'm I think always thinking both. he knows he's lying. Okay. I think sometimes he knows, and sometimes he just doesn't care, and sometimes he knows That's and doesn't it. care, um, and they're all mixed up together. Because I just I, don't yeah. think he gives a shit, because he gets away with it, and he knows he can continue and continue to get away with it, and he knows that people will believe it, and they'll buy it. So he knows, I'll just peddle whatever story, whatever I need to say. I don't even think he gives... I don't think there's even thought anymore behind it. He's like, I'll just say it. And there's well, and, nothing and, there. And I do think, I mean, actually, I'd love to know what the rest of you think. Um, um, you know, a small number of journalists, very much in the minority still, um, but have been arguing uh, that rather than, you know, Jim Acosta suing to get his press pass back, that the entire press corps should just say, we're not going to these White House conferences anymore. You know, there is no news. There is nothing to report. And all that we're doing is kind of feeding this beast, um, you know, that we will report on what the president and the White House and this administration actually do, e.g. if there is, in fact, a policy change um, or some action taken, we'll report on that. But we're not going to play this game where we go to these silly press conferences where Sarah Sanders and Donald Trump and others lie and then we write these kind of sober articles in which we say, well, the White House released a statement that was not accurate. Um, you know, but meanwhile, you're disseminating the lie and you're giving oxygen to to these falsehoods and, and, and game playing. You know, and I'm inclined to agree. I, you know, I see no value. Um, you know, it's, it's not, uh, I don't see it as a, any kind of abandonment of journalistic responsibilities. I see it on the contrary is that's what journalists do. They, 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 they differentiate between what is news and what is press releases. And if all you're getting is press releases, you stop covering it. You don't go. You don't do it. Yeah. Well, particularly if the people who are handing out the press releases um, don't hesitate to lie themselves, right? And then what you're getting is just, it's not just spin. Um, it's just bullshit. And, you know, that's that's a lot. That's a lot of what we're getting from Sarah Sanders, who won one of these turkey awards um, earlier. Well, I think we can agree that uh, the only people or the only thing that um, uh, Trump treats worse than women is the truth. Um, and often uh, abusing both of them simultaneously, I'm sure. Um, perhaps you've got uh, uh, another uh, dimension of the president you would like to call out in this turkey shoot, uh, Maggie. You know, I those were kind of my two things, right? The, there are so many things that Donald Trump does that um, are like nails on a chalkboard, right? And I think Rosa's right. You know, there's something to be said for maybe none of these journalists going to a single one of these uh, briefings, but I think it only works if nobody goes. But that's not the question you're asking me. Um, <laughs> but David, I think what you just said, that there's nothing he abuses more than women than the truth, um, is exactly, it's the underlying thing. It's his red thread and everything he does that makes me absolutely crazy. Um, and whenever he gets the chance, right, it's like Costco, two for one. If he can abuse both things at the same time, he most certainly will. Um, and watching him drag, you know, retired Admiral McRaven through the mud, um, which is so reminiscent of so many other members of former members of the military that he's done in the last, you know, two years, whether, um, you know, actually dragging their name through the mud or just taking them down with him, um, I think are, are the two things for me that I will never not think he's a turkey for. 
Yeah, I have to say, you know, I've spent the past uh, 25 years, I'm afraid, in Washington dealing uh, on the foreign policy and national security and international economics community. And I can think of nobody who is less open to attack than Admiral McRaven. I mean, this this guy is respected by, you know, his peers, by uh, his subordinates, by Democrats, by Republicans. For a real life of public service and and an, a real a truly a political life, um, and and it it's a it's a it's a sign of something especially wrong with Trump that he would go after him. Well, and I think it it wasn't always that way, right? Maybe three four years ago, you could have put John Kelly in that column too, um, as somebody that you know respected by his peers, re- respected by those who have worked with him or near him. Right and kind of unequivocally, someone who has given his entire life to public service, and yet here we are, um, but two for two very different reasons as compared to McRaven, um, but both, you know, bearing the brunt of Trump. But were you um, were so, any were any of you surprised that he said that? I no. felt like it made absolute <laughs> no, sense when he said that. I was like, of, of course Naturally. he did. Of course he said that. And then I was like, yeah. okay, what's next? He's done the Gold Star family. He's done McCain. It's, it's Bob Gates. It's just, oh, this is next. The only per right? It's like, I, I, if he goes after, you know, former Secretary of Defense Bob Gates, I mean, I I don't really want that to happen, but I'm, there's I'm a actually, part of me that wonders. <laughs> I'm surprised he's not, yeah. he's not yeah. blaming uh, Jamal Khashoggi for his own demise and saying that, you know, yeah. if he had wisdom or was a little bit tougher, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm not, you know, I mean, I don't know if you guys saw it. We're taping this on a Monday and earlier today, Trump put out a tweet in which he said, of course, we're frustrated that we didn't get bin Laden earlier. Um, And after all, he mentioned bin Laden in his book, even before 9-11, as though, you know, if you were reading this book that was ghost written by this moron um, or for this moron, and it mentioned bin Laden and and it, we had just been smart enough. By the way, he minimized bin Laden in the book. He actually did not pose him as a, a real threat. But but even if you for, for a moment accepted the thesis that he would have done it differently and 9-11 wouldn't have happened if we were only reading the art of the deal. I mean, holy it, hell, <laughs> it makes your head explode, right? Or what's left of it that hasn't exploded already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which reminds me again of Emily's turkey and the deep frying. But um, you've got to you know, keep people away from the deep fryer at all times. It's um, an indoor deep fryer. Yeah. It is. <laughs> it's an indoor. I put a post a picture. It's an indoor deep fryer. Got also purchased at Costco just to go back to your <laughs> when you commented about Costco. So, I mean, the good thing is, if it does blow up, I can always bring it back because they take back everything. Well, that's nice. That could be the only thing left in your house. By the way, I just <laughs> want to say one thing. I'm gonna. I, I want to say one brief thing here that's sort of off the point, but um, we're having such a nice, relaxed conversation. I can squeeze it in here. When I when I said uh, the only thing left in the house, one of our deep state nerds um, uh, was unfortunate enough to live in the path of one of these fires, oh. and. Uh, he posted a picture of his house destroyed in the fire um, and maintaining his sense of humor as only our listeners can. Um, he uh, included in the picture, he said, the one of the only things to survive the fire 
which was his deep state radio mug. Um, and, you know, I was kind of touched by this, that he would make this joke. And he said it made him smile in the face of literally losing every possession he had. Um, and so we tweeted out to deep state radio nerds and said, look, this poor guy is one of us and he's been through this horrible experience. And, um, uh, you know, if you can do anything for him on his GoFundMe site, do it. And I just want to say thank you to everybody out there who listens to Deep State Radio and did something, because a bunch of you did, and it doubled the amount of money that he had coming in. Uh, and he wrote a lovely thank you note to everybody out there in Deep State uh, Nation, essentially saying, you know, it was amazing that all these strangers stepped up. And I found it very, I found it very, very moving. And I want to say right now, we will do the same thing for you in your house, Emily. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. It's, it's, a good, it's good to know. I think it will get me out of hosting next year as well. So that's my other silver lining. Yeah, we'll. Just we'll. planning ahead. It, it, is, it is true. There was one year um, in, in my first marriage, um, my mother-in-law, my former mother-in-law, now deceased, used to host an enormous Thanksgiving dinner for the entire extended family. And one, one Thanksgiving, she, she gave everybody food poisoning and 40 people oh got God. food poisoning. And it's true that she never yeah. had to host again after that. <laughs> it can be total Don't mind me, I'm just taking some notes right now. Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is one way to get out of hosting Thanksgiving. And that not that I would do it. <laughs> was not it turkey that did it? Was it, st I'm not taking notes, but if I were, what, do you remember what it was? That got everyone sick? Well, there was a dispute about that. There was later. There was later some, you know, forensic analysis, and it was never fully <laughs> resolved. <laughs> I myself suspected some something weird in the mashed potatoes. Although God knows how you poison mashed potatoes. Well, hmm. actually, Emily probably was trained in that at the farm. Is poisoning mashed they, potatoes? <laughs> right. It was. There was a whole series, a whole lecture series on mashed potatoes. And the oh, use of it. Thanksgiving for, for exactly. enemies and adversaries, strategic adversaries. Exactly. Not, I was going to say, you probably took the class. It sounds... Yeah. So, 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 Emily, you get to take your shot at whatever it is about Trump that's worthy of the you know the turkey designation or or earned it especially this year well look the being in california when he i it was funny i got on twitter of course and i was like what's everyone talking about rakes what is this rake thing and then i saw something trump rake i'm like oh he didn't say that some comedian made that joke because nobody could possibly be that absolutely stupid and could be that big of an oxygen thief. Like I truly, at that moment, like it couldn't be. Then of course I read, I was like, but of course it could be. It was so soulless and insensitive and it was his paper towel moment to California. It was hideous. And I just, I can't imagine it's the worst fire this state has ever seen. People are losing their lives, their homes, everything. And he literally was like, we need to rake better. It was, it was just disgusting. That was me. That was my big, well, and there was so much. And then I was like, oh, that he's insulting. It was, that was, it blew my mind a little bit. I got a little apoplectic when I read that. But, but you weren't surprised to see the president call the, uh, a, a leading member of Congress a shit over the weekend? Well, I was, you know, I was upset because it wasn't funny because I was like, okay, 
as someone who used to do comedy, I just wanted it to be funny. Like, I'm like, it isn't even clever. It isn't, I mean, it's so tasteless, but I'm like, at least be funny. Like, it was more of an insult to comedy. So I was pissed about that. I was like, oh, God, that's such an easy joke. You can do better, but then he can't. Speaking of comedy, let's just have three minutes here of of discussion of comedy. The White House Correspondents Association, one Uh, of the most useless (laughs) organizations that that I think exists, that has stood up seldom and whenever it did in a kind of weak way on, on a variety of issues, um, but has, you know, nerd prom in Washington where everybody gets together and they go out and they go to this big hotel and they sit together and they congratulate themselves for being insiders and Hollywood types come and they go, oh my God, Washington insiders, how cool. And the White House Correspondents Association last year had a comedian, Michelle Wolf who said a bunch of things that were, by the way, good jokes and absolutely correct. And it just set people's hair on fire because, you know, it made Sarah Sanders unhappy, um, which, frankly, as far as I'm concerned, is a, a reasonable objective for anything one does. Um, and, and so they've concluded this coming year that they're not going to have a comedian because these times don't call for comedians. And instead, they're going to have Ron Chernow, the guy who wrote Hamilton, the book, um, uh, as well as a number of other great books and is a great historian uh, because he'll take this whole thing more seriously. Um, and I'll start with you, Emily, and then work my way around. But, you know, I just want to offer my point of view, and that is this is a moment that calls for more comedy, piercing more self-importance of more crap artists in Washington, not less. Um, and so I found this infuriating, but uh, you perhaps you have a different view. No, I, well, first, a couple of things. I've always, I'll just, full disclosure, I've always wanted to go to the nerd prom, partially because I never went to prom in high school. So I was like, this will make up for it, and I'll finally be cool with the nerd kids. So I kind of wanted to go, but now it's true. And I was like, why do I want to see my history teacher talk to me? It, to me, was, it's your one opportunity. It's the one opportunity to laugh. And now more than ever, it's what I turn to. That's honestly, I, when something shitty goes on in the world, which is every single second of every single day, I find the funny. And I have to. It's the only way to sort of release that valve. And so I get why they picked him. I get it. But I wish they would have just – it felt a little bit like they're just backing away. And I, I wanted – there's so many good comedians. There's so many important voices, voices that we need to hear and that would challenge us and entertain us. And I, and I just thought – what a missed opportunity. What also a missed opportunity to stand up and say, we're still going to do this. We're still going to do what everyone appreciates, what everybody wants, what everyone looks forward to, and we're still going to do it. And so it felt, I was a little disappointed, a lot disappointed. Uh, Rose, do you have an opinion on this subject? Uh, no, I'm in favor of comedy in, in all forms. <laughs> <laughs> if any of you had seen Rosa on stage at the Comedy Cellar on election night, you would know that's true. I, I have a I have a, a vast repertoire of really funny jokes, and I, I told many of them from my 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 joke book, my foreign policy joke book. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's the great moment, and it has gone uncommented upon on on this show. And Emily and and Maggie, you want to know this, but in the midst of this, after about I don't know what you were drinking there, but it was brown and it was in a short glass. I was drinking that other guy's drink, whatever it was. I don't know what it was. So some guys drink. Yeah, you admitted that. Brett Kavanaugh asked you out? 
What? Oh well, well <laughs> wait, hold on. Quentin Jurassic from Lawfare. If you're listening to this, and I know you are, please pause, rewind, and re-listen to that. Yeah. Well, he didn't exactly ask me out. I, it, this was a memory that I dredged up only, only. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> when it was triggered by no, no. But it also, I, I, I met him. I can't. I've been trying to remember exactly what the setting was, and I can't. Although I can sort of. Much, much like Christine Blasey Ford, I can remember the physical setting, but not the the date or the reason for the, but it was some kind of like reception. Um, and I had not met him before and I was introduced to him and we were we were chatting and uh, and he, he said something like, you know, oh, do you want to go see a movie sometime? And this was many years ago before he was married, before I was married. So it was not, in fact, he did not, in, he did not assault me. Um, he did not do anything inappropriate. Um, and I said something rather vague, um, putting him off because I, I already, the word was out. He was a Ken Starr acolyte. Uh, and that was already scary enough for me. So I, I said something vague like, oh, yeah, maybe in a year or two and drifted off to talk to somebody <laughs> else. And I had totally repressed that memory because there was no particular reason to keep it in the front of my mind. But yes. Um, so I wouldn't, I don't know if I would call that ask me out, but. I, I, I don't meet- know. I was going to say, did you meet uh, Squee or Tobin? Yeah. Any of his other friends? No, I didn't. (laughs) This is not really relevant information. Squee, I I have to tell you, it is relevant, and it's it's a highlight uh, for me. Do you have an opinion on the comedians at the nerd prom, uh, Maggie? I mean, I most certainly do. I'm a very proud Wesleyan graduate. So Lin-Manuel Miranda and Tommy Kale have made sure that I love Hamilton, but for the life of me, I cannot figure out why they picked Ron Chernow. I mean, it, I, I'm with Emily. Like, I didn't go to my prom. This is a, this is a part of my soul that, like, will forever miss out. Um, why they couldn't just call Nicole Byer or Hannah Gadsby and, like, have one of them or both of them do it is beyond my comprehension. Like, what a downer. Because what we definitely need, right, is, like, more old white men talking to hotel ballrooms full of people in Washington. Like, that's definitely something we're missing. <laughs> I don't think we have enough old white men who talk. No, we don't. We don't. We need more. Um, you know, speaking on behalf of the <laughs> old white men, um, let me tell you, I agree with you completely. I am tired of hearing even myself speak. Um, uh, and given that we're coming to the end of this particular episode, that's perhaps appropriate. There is one other thing that I want to say, though, um, and that is that Fortunately, over the course of the past year and a half and almost 150 episodes of Deep State Radio, our audience has grown and grown and grown, and the one-on-ones have grown and grown and grown. And so over the course of the next couple of weeks and into the beginning of the new year, we are going to expand our roster of Deep State Radio podcasts that you're going to be able to get each day, with the goal being within just a couple of months, there will be a new podcast for you each and every day. And so on Tuesdays and Thursdays, the old gang and the traditional Deep State Radio podcast will be there. The first of the new podcasts, which we're going to add, will actually start this week. Um, And this will be a series of Deep State one-on-ones with big newsmakers. Um, And this week, it's going to be a conversation with uh, General Mike Hayden, uh, who is another former leader of our intelligence community. He would be, you know, Emily also, I suppose, in that context. But um, Mike Hayden is one of the most distinguished uh, public servants I know and 
uh, has been an outspoken leader in the intelligence community. And coming up ahead, we have presidential candidates lined up, some very senior uh, pe people from the policy side lined up, and that's going to be great. And then very soon, like November, what what date in November, Emily? Don't give it all away, but what date? November. It is November 29th. November 29th, we are going to launch another podcast. Um, and this one is going to be different from anything that is out there. Um, and rather than my being an old white man explaining the podcast, um, and, I, and I'm just going to go into the bathroom down the hall here and slit my wrist um, uh, for, for being in that category. But um, Emily, why don't, Emily is going to be the host of this podcast. And, I am. I'm very excited. And, and it's going to be called, and this is all I'm going to give, and then you can describe it, but it's going to be called Washington for Beautiful People. And it is going to be different because as the joke is that, uh, that, uh, that Washington is Hollywood for ugly people, that we are going to bring in voices who are shaping public opinion from the West Coast, where Emily lives and will live until whatever happens with that deep fryer. Um, and so why don't you talk a little bit about your plans for the pod? Well, it's, I think now more than ever, we've seen those voices on the West Coast kind of rise up and bring so much attention to issues that really need to be amplified. So it's exciting for me to be able to talk to those voices that are here, along with some of you know, my old contacts in the government. And to be able to bring those voices together and talk about some of the issues, how they got into social activism. And also, I want to keep it fun as well, because that's my background. And so I want to be able to have a lively conversation talking about how they got into being able to talk and give voice to these issues that are going around. And, and also what people can do, how they can contribute and make a little bit of a change as well. And we are really looking forward to that. We've got two more that we'll be announcing uh, the exact start dates down the road, but one is going to continue on the tradition started by Rosa drinking that other person's alcohol at the Comedy Cellar. And we are going to launch a series of Deep State Live at the Comedy Cellar, which will allow call-in and have video, and once a month will be a live performance at the Comedy Cellar in New York City. Uh, and we're going to do a podcast, and we'll give more details on this shortly, which will just be, get this, for women, no old what? white oh men. Oh my god! No, stop it! Yeah, I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah. We're just gonna—I don't know. Just put uh, us in a room. Yeah, you guys will just be in a room and talk, and meanwhile, the old white men will go and shop for catheters or whatever. That old sounds white great. Men yeah, I could horrible. be very good at that. I don't know, Emily. I feel like that's a thing that could happen. I mean, Rosa, you can come too, but you. You have the comedy seller thing happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are all too many, too many tempting options. All of these, but the idea is that you know people you know go to the gym every day and they go to the kitchen every day and they drive home every day and 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 the world is driving them crazy every day and so what we want to do is provide a full lineup of great people talking about great things with a little humor and a little irreverence. Uh, to find out more about these things, go to deepstateradionetwork.com. Uh, and uh, read the other content, and there'll still be more content. There's written content, there's a daily brief, there's the day, uh, the weekly uh, deep tech dive that we do, which is tech stories, and and so on. And uh, 
uh, you know, you'll hear more from Emily uh, as, as we get closer to the big day. Um, but we just wanted to let you all know that this is coming. And of course, if you want to support this enterprise, go to deepstateradionetwork.com and sign up and be a member. Do the right thing. You know, it's not that expensive. And then it pays for the mugs and 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 the alcohol and all the other things that we need in order to keep doing this. So do that. And Maggie and Emily and Rosa, thank you very much for joining us on this episode of Deep State Radio. And everybody will be back again for the next one. Bye-bye. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.